Hello friends, I am Katie and this is the Truth For Your 20s podcast and I currently have a video going viral on TikTok. Last I looked, it's over half a million views in less than 24 hours and it was like zero thought. It's just a duet of a 20-something saying like, what do I do? Do I make a 401k? Do I take a shot of vodka? What do I do? Like how confusing your 20s are and I thought it was hilarious and I get that and that is my passion behind this podcast. That's all I was intending to say, but hey, 600,000 views later, here we are. But I wanted to talk about a 401k and how to handle your finances best. So I'm pulling an episode from the archives. This is when I interviewed my husband. He is the best financial expert I know. Funny story, he actually had a TikTok go viral sharing our financial testimony. He doesn't post anymore, but it was just basically sharing how, you know, we have never made over six figures. He was a youth pastor when we first got married. Yet just because of our behavior, we were able to live debt-free. I stayed at home with our babies when they were little. It's really not about your income. It's about your behavior. You don't have to make a million dollars, but you also don't have to live like a miser. Like We have never felt like we were missing out on anything. And then also when you're able to put away money and make wise choices and not go into debt, then you're able to have more abundance later by because you're not paying all those interest rates. And anyway, we're going to go into that in the episode. But if you are new here because of that viral TikTok, I would love to hear from you. You can message me. My Instagram DMs are always open. I'm at Katie Bulmer Life. And if you can help us, we are trying to reach a goal of 250 reviews on iTunes. This episode is coming out earlier than normal because I wanted to get to all those eyeballs who are <laughs> landing on that TikTok right now. But we usually have new episodes every Tuesday. Okay, I can't wait anymore. Here is the episode. This is called Money in All Stages of Your 20s. If you are in your 20s hoping there is more to life than boys and Bacardi, you are in the right place. Katie Ballmer has been a keynote speaker to over 60 colleges nationwide, encouraging 20-somethings to realize their worth, find their calling, and not date dirtbags. But seriously, Katie is an author, viral TikTok creator, wife, mom of two girls, and your adopted aunt that you never knew how bad you needed. Ready to have some real conversation tackling the hottest topics? This is the Truth For Your 20s podcast. Hello guys, I have my most famous guest yet. (laughs) The one and only, my husband, Brian Bulmer. I'm so excited that he's here today. So just a little background, Brian is what I call a financial expert. He has lots of information, knowledge, just wisdom when it comes around the subject of money. He actually worked for two years at the university level helping college students with money, the director of financial wellness, and now he still works at the university level in different departments, but his passion has always been to help people just handle their finances. A couple years ago, got trained under the Dave Ramsey organization to do coaching and does one-on-one coaching with usually families and couples. And when I asked you guys on the Instagram world what you wanted to hear more of about, you said money. So... I brought the best expert I know. That is Brian. So welcome to the podcast, Hubs. Glad to be back and talk about some more money. And just to be clear, I cannot help you when it comes to um, picking stocks or anything like that. I'm not what they call fiduciary, but I can help you make sense of your money in general. Yes, which is, you know, having a plan for your money and to not be broke by the time you're 30, right? So this is all the practical good stuff. And we're just going to kind of unpack it. From all stages of 20s. Now, obviously, this is, I call it the pivotal decade because so much can happen in this decade. This is why I'm so passionate about you guys. But we're going to talk about when you're in college, how to handle money, 
single, um, perhaps, you know, and that just means unmarried out of college. Um, and then perhaps married life, like those huge life changes and how you handle money. For, give them like a background first though, because our audience has changed a lot lately and we have a lot of new guests. So if they've never heard you or like what you do, what's your background on money? Yeah. So when I was in college, my first two years, I was blessed in the fact that they were basically covered. And then I decided to go off to a private school and they weren't covered anymore. And I started learning about debt and realized that I was getting into debt, but I wasn't really sure what to do about the debt that I had. And so it made me very nervous and I was a little bit confused, wasn't sure what to do and graduated college being unclear about debt, not knowing the direction to go in. And I just tried to follow the path that most people follow. I got credit cards because I knew I thought I was supposed to develop my credit history. I started paying back my student loans. I started, you know, accumulating what money I could in the job that I had, but I really wasn't sure what to do or how to do things and kind of did that for many years, but always felt like that there had to be something better. Um, right before Katie and I got married, came across Dave Ramsey. And Dave Ramsey, the great thing about him is that he laid out a plan. I'd heard some other people who helped with general practical financial advice. And they were great about letting me know that I needed to change and I needed to grow. But they didn't really give me a good plan to grow with. And Dave was great about giving me a plan. So we started walking through that plan before we got married. Right before Katie and I got married, though, I got hit by a drunk driver. And it really caused us to... Um, doubt what we're starting to try to do because we were trying to be debt free in the things that we did. And to be honest with you, I had to go get a new car. And the only way that I could do it at that time was that I had to borrow money, but it caused me to draw a line in the sand that I refused to cross again. And that was, that I was not going to go into debt anymore except for my house. So since that time I've paid cash for our last five to maybe six cars. Um, we've put about 33% down on our first house. We were able to put over 50% down on the second house that we bought. So we're super proud of that. And then just try to maintain that lifestyle of not going into debt each month. I do vary from Dave a little bit. I do have credit cards and have developed that credit score, but Katie and I went about 10 years without any credit cards at all. And I do think it's well worth starting without credit to the best of your ability, just so you can get used to paying things off. I will be the first to admit that due to having a credit card, I do think that we spend more sometimes than we should on things, even though we've paid that credit card every month, pay that credit card off every month since we've had it. Yeah, for sure. And when I used to hear people talk about debt-free stories, I used to think, oh, well, they must make, they must be millionaires or whatever. And I think that what is so interesting about our story is, you know, he was a youth pastor for the first eight years of our marriage. Like we, we've always lived with quote regular jobs, you know, like we've never made six figures. We've just been, what was it you say? Like, it's not about your income, not about your income it's about your behavior, right? Correct. It's about how you treat your money and even starting like when you're in college, a lot of times when people are in college, they think, oh, well, I'll start thinking about money after I graduate. But the truth is, is if you are the typical student and you're spending $5, you know, every day on Starbucks coffee, you do that for five days, that's $25 that you've just spent on coffee. You do that for a year, it's like a $1,250, I think, that you spent on coffee. You start doing that over four years, it's $5,000 you spent on coffee alone while you were in college. 
And we have this mentality that, oh, I don't have to think about money yet. And the other thing that gets us is we start racking up student loan debt, just like I was doing. Like I said, when I was in college, I started looking at books, started seeing things that were telling me about the debt I was getting myself into. It was even kind of telling me that it, would be, it was kind of unwise for me to be doing those things. But I had no clue how to deal with those things. And so I think when you're in college, the best thing you can do is start developing a budget, start becoming mindful of your money, and know that how you spend your money in college has a huge impact on the rest of your life and how you plan to spend money. Yeah, so we're going to unpack like all the different ways people look at money. But, you know, you and I study this kind of stuff, and I just find it so interesting that, you know, even as we were married, like we grew up in different homes, obviously. and a lot of times, you know, for, for both of us, money wasn't really talked about a whole lot. It was not like it was a secret, but we just, we didn't really understand. And, and that might be you, you know, I heard Rachel Cruz, who, if you listen to her, um, she has a lot of really good advice on money, but essentially we all come from one of four households. It's like you either, you talked about money and you didn't have it. (laughs) You didn't talk about money and you didn't have it, or you talked about it and had money or didn't talk about it and had money. So either way, you you know, whatever that four quadrant you came from, you learned a little bit about how you view the world, right? And I also think that we often like to, I don't know, like have money as the hero or the villain, but money is an inanimate object. It's within the hands of the user that makes all the difference. So just some huge things that kind of rocked my world as it relates to money and how we look at it. And yeah, what are your thoughts on all that? Yeah, I, I would encourage anybody to try to develop Um, the relationship around talking about money with your parents and kind of learn from them, you know, just get their experiences. They may not want to go into the details of their personal finances, but any way that you can just kind of get a handle or a grip on money and money values and different things that will impact you as you get older, the better off you are. And I think the earlier you can start those conversations, the better off that you are in your life. Yeah. And so whether you are able to have that conversation with your parents or not, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of dynamics at play in a family relationship. We're just going to walk you through several different common life stages in your twenties as it relates to money. So first talk to the college student, how can she or he who's listening, <laughs> um, get a better grip on their money? I think the first thing is being aware yeah. um, for a college student. A lot of times when I talk to college students, they're not even aware that they've borrowed money for college. So I think the first thing is being aware of what's going on money-wise when it relates to you for college. A lot of times in being kind and being helpful, parents will kind of get loans and other things set up for their kids while they're in school. But the truth is that those loans are in the students' names. And I've had a lot of difficult conversations with students who are graduating seniors who are like, oh yeah, my parents took out all those loans only for them to discover that they were actually the ones who took out the loans that got them through schools. Now, are parents able to take out loans for school? Yes, there are certain situations where they can, but the most cost-effective thing that's done is actually for the student to be able to take out those loans. And what a lot of parents do to try to help their kid, to try to make sure the semester is taken care of, is they kind of help walk through that process for their student, sometimes with their student, but the more money aware that you can be, the better off you're you're going to be in college and throughout life. The other thing is to make sure that when you complete your entrance counseling for your student loans, that you actually look at it and read it and understand what you're getting yourself into. Because I feel like that that will drive you towards trying to keep that down once you realize how much you may have to pay back later on in life. 
The other thing that I always talk to college students about too, that they tend to not realize how powerful it is, is scholarships. Yeah. Like, can you imagine if you were to spend five hours and you got a $500 scholarship, how much did you make per hour? That'd be $100 an hour. (laughs) $100 an hour. Yeah. And what job is paying you $100 an hour? But I would talk to college students all the time. And they're like, Brian, I just don't have time to look for scholarships. I got to go to work. I got class. I got other things going on. And yet at $100 an hour, if you got a $500 scholarship, and a lot of times once you get in a pattern and doing things for scholarships, it's like the essay is basically the same. You're just changing a few things on the essay or you're just doing certain things. So the startup may take you a little bit of time, but once you get in a rhythm with it, it's great. The other thing I've learned about college students who do a great job finding scholarships so they like they want to try to keep them a secret because they're afraid somebody else is going to come and try to get their scholarships from them. If you become, so to speak, an expert on you know getting scholarships for yourself, you're going to develop a lot of friends who want to learn from you and learn what you did. Um, as a matter of fact, I heard a story about a girl in Tennessee who her senior year of high school, and that's the other myth, I guess, is that they think that once you get to college, you can't apply for any more scholarships. That's completely untrue. You can keep applying all the way through college for different scholarships that are out there. But anyway, she was a high school senior, and she started applying for scholarships, and she would apply for two a week, almost her entire senior year. And by the time that she started college, she had enough money to pay for all four years and did not have to worry about money the whole time she was in school. Nice. Nice. Go girl. All right. So the next general large transition is getting out of college. And we'll say the the most common scenario. Obviously, there's a lot of different ones. But we'll say a college student graduated with a pretty decent-sized chunk of debt, stars in her eyes, ready to tackle the world, but, you know, entry-level job. Yeah. Yeah, well, I think the first thing, and we'll kind of go back into college a little bit for this one, but one, start developing a personal budget while you're in school. The easiest time to learn the budget is when you have less things to budget for. Yeah. Because if you can get the things that you have in college down, it makes your life so much easier when you get, quote unquote, that first job after school. Because when you're in college, a lot of things are paid for, you know, as far as maybe your dorm is paid for, perhaps your food is paid for, you've already set up payment for those things. But then when you're out of school, you got to start paying your rent or the house you might have bought. You got to start paying for your food yourself. You got to start paying for those other things. So if you can develop a budget while you're in college, that just makes your life so much easier when you're out. Because then when you add things to your budget after school, it's so much easier to add them in because you've learned different things that make a budget effective for you. And I would say the big thing about a budget is find something that works for you and keeping up with a budget. A lot of times people treat budget like it's a dirty word. But the truth is, is you're just telling your money where to go ahead of time. So you're not wondering where it went. And there's a lot of people, and I know we'll get into other life stages here in a little bit, but there's a lot of people who get married, have families, and they look and they're going into debt each month. When you ask them to tell you um, what they're spending their money on, there can be huge gaps in what they think they're spending and how much they're actually spending. And you get to eliminate that for yourself if you can start developing a budget while you're in college and stick to that budget. The other thing it does is it drives down how much you borrow because anything you can do to borrow less sets you up to be successful. So now you've graduated college, yeah. starting that first job. Yeah. And so now the thing that you're thinking about doing, one, is you got to figure out your benefits. You have to figure out other things that will benefit you there. And so what I would recommend that you do is reach back out to your career services of the college that you graduated from 
and ask them. A lot of colleges have people on campus that can at least help you understand those things. And you want to make wise decisions there for where you're at. Now, I don't believe necessarily anybody should tell you exactly what to do because everybody's situation is a little bit unique. But you do want to make sure that you establish what's wise for you to do in your particular situation so you can be successful with money. And you might want to talk to other people so you can figure that out. Do you know that you can book a call with me? Yep, just you and me. We can talk about boys or faith or finding your calling or what you want to be when you grow up or anything in between. My passion, as you know from this podcast, is to be who I needed when I was younger. And I book online mentoring calls all throughout the week. I have a calendar where you pick a time that works for you. And we just set a phone call, date, and make it happen. Usually I'm walking around my neighborhood. You can do whatever you want. But we're going to just get to all the good stuff. Sometimes all you need is an unbiased third party who has your best interest at heart. I want to be your adopted mom, cool aunt, best friend, whatever you want to call me, but let's get real. Let's get honest. I would love to be your mentor. Check all the information at katiebulmer.life. Okay. So real life, (laughs) our daughter just came upstairs. I had to run her friend home. So this is like a lot of people request to have Brian on the interview. I mean, on the podcast and of course love to like have share his wisdom, but sometimes having us to get together on a call is the hardest because real life, man. Um, okay. So you were talking about budget and you're right. A lot of times people are like, Oh, stop with this ugly word, this cuss word budget you speak of. But you're right, obviously changing the mindset around it. And it's not about, it's not a restriction. It's a freedom, you know, almost like eating healthy. Like, oh my gosh, I can't have fun. Yes, you can have fun. You decide where your money goes and decide when you can have fun and what that means and defining the limits. Yeah, so I think the first thing I start with, and it's something I kind of learned recently, but it's so true, is one, I think people think that they have to have the perfect budget to start. And the truth is, is budgeting is going to take a little bit of time. I just recently heard from the, a great book called Atomic Cabots about a college class where the professor was teaching photography. And I promise you this relates to budgeting. Um, but he's talking about photography in one section of the students, they had to come up with the perfect photo and the other section got to try multiple things to figure out how to take good pictures. The group that tried multiple things took the best pictures. Whereas the group who tried to come up with the one perfect picture, they did horribly. And it's the same thing is true with the budgeting. The best thing to do with budgeting is to get started and just try to work through it. It's going to take a little bit of time. Budgeting is just like anything that you learn to do. It takes a little bit of time to get used to. But ultimately, all you're trying to do is you're trying to look at what do I have coming in for the month versus what do I have going out and saving. And you're just trying to make sure that those two things match up. Because if you have um, less coming in than going out or and being saved, then you go into debt. And the more debt you go into means you're borrowing that money to be able to pay for the things that you need for a month. And you're borrowing that with interest. And that's how people get behind in life. So the best thing to do is to honestly start and not feel like you have to have this perfect budget to get started. Start looking at what you have coming in versus what you have going out and match those two things up. There are a few different apps out there that you can try that help you. Some people like Mint. Mint will do a lot of the work for you. M-I-N-T, right? Correct. Mint.com. And some people don't like Mint because it does so much work for you. Dave Ramsey organization has a free version of a thing called Every Dollar. They also have a paid version of that that you can link to your bank account. Um, And the free version, though, a lot of people wind up liking it 
because they have to look at their bank account and then they have to put things into their budget and they feel like they have more control over it. And the less they're involved in that process, the harder it is for them to feel like that they have control. Does it take a little bit of your time? Yes. But will you gain back a ton more time? Absolutely. And it's just like anything. For most of us, we did not get on a bike and learn how to right. ride it right away. Did you get on your bike and ride it right um, away? Um, probably not. I don't remember. Probably, but probably not. not. Nice. <laughs> um, but after you tried it for a little while and got more and more used to it, you were able to ride off on that bike, and then one day you were just up and going. Yeah. And the same thing's true with the budget. For most of us, it takes about three to four months to get a good working budget going. But then once we get it going, it works out pretty easily for us. But it's just like any new habit you want to do to change something in your life, eating better, running more, you know, exercising, learning a yeah, new language. Yeah, I was thinking language. yoga. Remember, I was terrible at the beginning. Yeah, <laughs> same thing with your yoga and how amazing you are now and all that great shoulder strength. I paid him to say that. So, um, <laughs> And she's got a great TikTok of her like doing a yoga pose up against the wall and she had – like a shirt over her tank top, and she took that shirt off while she was doing a headstand oh, up against the wall. I thought you were making something up. It was up. amazing. No, you did that. So yeah, that it was, was completely you, t- amazing. you put on a t-shirt while you're in a headstand. That's basically, yeah. Yeah, and so it was amazing. So she had a tank top on underneath. Yeah, to clarify. Yeah, yeah just to clarify. <laughs> but it's the same thing for a budget, right? You would start off and go, there is no way – that I can do that. And you might have even heard that about Katie. You think there's no way. And you're like, oh, that's for other people to do a budget. I don't need to do a budget. I can't do a budget. But the truth is, if you start early, so while you're in college, if you're done with college and you're listening to this, start while you're starting that career. It is never too early to start budgeting. Um, and it's never too late for that matter. But it is easier the earlier you start, especially the less things that you have that you're paying for. I think the other thing that goes with budgeting everything else is if you did borrow for school, you need to get a handle on those loans as quickly as possible. Know how much you borrowed. Understand how you're paying things back. There are a ton of different payback options. So the easiest way to think about money that we borrowed, how to pay it back, is to just line up what you owe from the least amount you owe to the greatest amount that you owe. Once you've developed that budget, once you set aside about a thousand dollars, especially if you're a young professional, if you're still in college, maybe like five hundred dollars, then start taking the extra money that you have and start working down the debt that you have. If you're still in school, you might want to stockpile it so you can avoid getting more debt for the next semester. But once you're out of school, you can start using that to pay off that debt as quickly as possible. It's not something you want to play around with. I've had people that I've talked to, and they've talked about, yeah, I got the like $1,000 emergency fund, but I've been paying on my debt for 10 years. You want to try to be quicker if you can. I mean, some life situations put people in that situation, but a lot of times it's because we're not being as aggressive as we need to to pay off that debt. When, when Katie and I got married, she honestly walked into the marriage with very little, if any, debt. And I had school debt and I had car debt when we got married from the car we talked about earlier. And so we just aggressively attacked that debt and got it paid down. And I guess that's another thing to know kind of as you're in that young professional life and if you're thinking about you know, leaning towards marriage is you need to be open and honest with the person that you're considering marrying, you know, as you've been dating and as you're heading towards that marriage field is not opening date material by any Mm -hmm. means, but you do want to talk about, you know, where you are 
financially as far as debt and stuff like that. You don't have to say, well, my income is this and I you know, do this and I have this investment. So I'm not talking about that, but more what you might be bringing into the marriage that might hurt the marriage financially and being open and honest about those things with potentially somebody. Yeah, for sure. I was going to kind of ask you about that. Like, you know how I feel about this, but you know, I talk to a lot of college students who will be like, or, you know, just young um, single women are like, oh, well, yeah, you know, I'll think about being smart with my money, but I'm not really going to think about it too much because, and maybe they wouldn't say this out loud, <laughs> but they'll think a guy's going to fix all that. Again, maybe they don't think that out loud, but untrue and unfair, right? So we were talking to a friend the other day, one of your friends, one of the um, people that you're working with, and they were saying that they were pretty bad with money and they were saying that the person that they were dating is really good with money. So I was saying in keeping your finances separate, you should lean into that strength that they have and say, hey, what are some tips? What are some tricks? What are some ways that I can get better about my finances and learn from those who are making wise decisions with money around you? Now, you have to be a little discerning because you don't want to learn from people who are broke how to handle money because they're broke for a reason. They don't know how to handle money well. But people who you see that are doing well with their money, people you see that are being wise about their money, you should lean into those people and ask them questions and just figure out where they've got. There's people who are ahead of us on their financial journey, and I lean into them. There's a friend the other day, and I asked permission, but we drove from here to Nashville, and I just picked their brain because they invest in real estate, and they do other things really good with money. And then I can learn from them and what they're doing so I can take those next steps in my journey when it comes to money as well. It's the same thing for the young lady that we were talking to. She can learn from somebody who's a little bit ahead of her and learn her next steps. And then when she gets to that point, then she can learn from somebody new and learn those next steps um, to get them to the next point. Yeah, 100%. That's what it's all about, learning learning from people who've been there before you. Yeah. Um, well, good lead in then about talking about money as it relates to relationships and dating. I don't know. Uh, money as it relates to dating as a whole kind of a, there's a lot of nuances. And so we'll just talk about marriage, um, early marriage, because this is something, obviously, what is it like majority of divorces cite financial differences being a, a huge factor in that. So money, talking about money, relating to money, they say that usually there's someone who is a quote nerd and someone who's a quote free spirit. Uh, We know the two in in this, right? But, you know, nerd is a harsh term, but essentially someone who is just more budget minded, someone who at least doesn't hate doing the budget. And that's you obviously in our marriage and someone who you have to tie down to come to the budget meetings and not chase squirrels in their mind. That would be me, right? Well, I think that's a good point, though, is what you just said as far as the budget meeting goes. And that is, I think that there needs to, once you're married, to have active times where you're sitting down and you're talking about it, even if one person doesn't feel as engaged. And that person, whoever is the person who feels less engaged in the budgeting process, the person who's better about budgeting, if you will, needs to be willing to allow them to mess with things, ask questions, be able to explain what's going on. Even if you understand, I mean, sometimes when we talk about things, there's things that you've wanted and I can say, Oh, well, experts say that this is the reason, but at least try to, you know, want to go back and say, well, here's why this is important, you know, and try to get us both on the same page of understanding what's important. Because if you are somebody who's better about budgeting than your future spouse, maybe then you want to make sure that you help them understand and not come from it from a, well, this is my way and you just need to learn it. But more, 
you know, when we look at the experts, when we look at what are wise things to set yourself up to be successful, this is a good financial practice. And sometimes in our relationship, we've gone from that to, you know, to saying that once we reach certain levels with the amount that we give towards, you know, our retirement, we change those percentages once we reach a certain point and different things like that. And so you and your relationship, when you get married, you can set those things. You're in charge of your budget. You're in charge of how you live your life. And the fact that you're setting aside money, you know, even towards retirement at an early age is amazing because it sets you up to be hugely successful when you decide to retire. Yeah. So I think an example would be helpful. Brian, like, you know, is smart. He studies all this stuff. And we were just talking about the budget actually today. And so Brian budgets in to put money toward retirement because that is what responsible people teach in this world for you to do. And meanwhile, you know, I look at the budget and I'm like, oh my gosh, we could use that money for vacation or whatever. And he's like, I hear you, but we need to budget for both of these things and, you know, pull from here and there and to make it all work. So that's just an example of having a conversation about it, right? We come at it in different perspectives. And so Brian's never like, well, you're wrong. It has to be done this way. He's like, I hear you, but we can, we need to put money toward retirement because that's what every expert says. But yes, we can talk about having fun and budgeting. And actually you're better about that than I am like intentional making plan for vacation and stuff like that. So having open lines of communication and you're going to see things differently and you're going to want different things out of the budget. But again, having those conversations, presenting your case, deciding what works, making priorities together, that avoids a million potential arguments. Okay. So people talk a lot about building their credit scores and like, you know, oh yeah, you need to build a credit score, but there's probably a lot that they don't understand about that. So talk about, you know, you don't necessarily have to have a credit score. That's true. You don't. Um, credit score can be helpful in some ways. And the fact that we as a society have kind of gotten lazy in some areas. And so it can sometimes help insurance be cheaper. It can sometimes help you get a cell phone. It can sometimes help you with rent. So a lot of people feel like it's valuable and important, but you can go without credit cards. You can go without building your credit. As a matter of fact, you and I, we went 10 years without a credit card at all. We do have, a, we have two credit cards now, um, but for a long time we had one. But ultimately, all you really need are two points of credit to have a good credit score to help you buy a house. And really, that's the only time that you really need a credit card because you should be paying cash for cars because they go down in value. Um, so the only thing you really need a credit score for is that house. And that can come about from two points of credit. As long as you don't damage either one of those points of credit, they will be good enough to help you. And that can be a credit card. That can be paying back a student loan. That would count. Um, just as long as there's two points, you're in good shape. So for us, we have a house. We have the two cards. Um, we could go down to one and we'd still be in good shape as long as we have a mortgage. Now, if you pay off your house and you still want to have a good credit score, then you would definitely still want to have two points of credit, but you don't have to have a ton of points of credit. Now, if you want an excellent superb score, you would need it, but you can get the best interest rate for a house with just two points of credit. And that's all you and I use it for. And if you're going to have it, I mean, I feel like those are really the only two areas that you need it for. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned us paying cash for cars. That sounds like a foreign language. A lot of people are like, wait, wait, that, no, you can't do that. But you, if you're paying, I don't know, $250, $300, maybe, and maybe that's low, $500. I don't know. However much a car payment is these days. It's like five seventy five a month. Is the average car payment? Jeez. Okay. So let's just say $500. If you're paying $500 a month on a car payment, you could, in theory, put 
away $500 a month to save up for said car and pay less because you're not paying in all those interest fees. Right. And you tend to get, you know, a car that's more within your budget as far as your household, because you don't want to lock too much money up in a depreciating asset, which basically means something that goes down in value. So when you pay cash for your car, you tend to prevent yourself from overspending on that car because the most expensive a car will ever be is the first day that you buy it. After that, it starts going down in value. Um, in those first two years, if it's a new car, pretty quickly. And then after that, it kind of levels out. But even with a used car, you're still wiser to pay cash for it. So you don't have money locked up monthly in a depreciating asset. And it's a much easier to save up for it than it is to pay for it plus the interest in a monthly payment. Just because you can afford a monthly payment doesn't necessarily mean that you can afford the thing that that monthly payment is costing you. Because I think you and I both can attest to the fact that with us saving up and paying for our cars, it's given us a lot more money to do other things that we want to do and we still have that ability. And once you do it once, to be honest with you, it gets a lot easier. Yeah. Um, it's like you realize that you can do it. You realize that this is something that people can do. We've done it with our last, um, at least last five cars that we purchased, if not perhaps six. Well, over the past, what, 15 years? 16 yeah, years, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's not like we buy cars every day or anything. But, yeah, just, and we, you know, some of them were like crappy cars that eventually had to be upgraded. But, yeah, yeah, I mean, we would just drive them until... We had another kid or like for whatever reason, you know, we had minivan, which, you know, mom van was pretty cool. And yeah, yeah so um, just for whatever reason, had to get a new one eventually. But yeah. Um, and then the dealership looks at you like, wait, what? Like you're paying in cash? Like what? Is that a thing? And you're like, uh, yeah, because you're going to get, get a lot better deal that way too. And you don't have to pay all that interest. So you not only get a better deal from the dealership, you get a better deal over the course of the entire loan too, which it Absolutely. won't be a thing. Yeah. Because you're paying car payments, you're paying it on that original price. Whereas if you pay cash for it and it goes down, maybe you've lost that money, but you're not having to pay what it was worth when you bought it plus all that interest. Okay. Talk about early married, just trying to figure this thing out, have some money. Um, I don't know. Your grandparents gave you a little bit of a nest egg. Now you got to communicate. You got to do this thing well. You got to figure out, you know, my husband grew up in a very different home than you did money there's so much surrounding it what are i mean i'm just asking you because you deal with this a lot like obviously i know how you feel about it but like what are some good tips on communicating about money and then just handling it well so i think first is understanding that you may come from two different backgrounds when it comes to money and so i think having open and honest conversations when it comes to money is super helpful and learning where each other is at so you can grow from there depending on you know what is going on in your life. Understand, too, that your life and your household is completely different than your parents' household. Yeah. And it's okay for you to do things differently. And what made sense to you when you were under your parents may look a lot different in your relationship. I would also say that it's good to try to develop a pattern. I'll see a lot of people who will set things up and they'll hear advice from different people out there, the Dave Ramsey's, the Susie Orms, people that they hear on TikTok even. And they'll say, oh, that's a good idea. That's a good idea. That's a good idea. That's a good idea. And they try to do all these good ideas and they wind up not doing what's best for them because they've got all little bits of money going to all these little good ideas and it doesn't help them establish the best practices for them in their household. And so just a few rules of thumb, if you will, that I think will help people kind of get in their head, maybe a way to build their money is one, 
and a lot of experts agree with this, is that you want to start with your four walls. This is how people kind of look at it, almost like you're building a house. Um, and those four walls are transportation, their shelter, their clothing, and they are food. Once those four things are established, then you want to make sure that you have a little bit of money in reserve in case something goes bad. And some people will say, oh, this relates to Murphy's Law and you're trying to prevent Murphy's Law from happening. I think it's just being wise about having a little bit stored so you can feel a little bit of peace as you go to tackle debt. So once you have that little bit of reserve, and you're almost like you're building shields, and then you're going to go on the attack. So you've kind of shielded yourself from things that may come up, and now you're going to go on attack, and you're going to attack that debt aggressively. Then once you get that debt under control, and you've got that debt paid off, everything, so if you've bought a house, everything but the house, if you haven't bought a house yet, then everything that you have debt in before that house, if you decide you want to do it that way, once you get out of that, you can start you perhaps saving for that house, but you also want to save an emergency fund. Most experts would say about three to six months. One way to look at that is how stable is the job that you're in and you know the pandemic that we've just walked through. It may help people kind of see where they're at when it comes to that job. So that's kind of your, another shield. So your, your shield went from about $1,000, then you went on attack on debt so you could have more money, then you bring your shield out a little bit more, and now you're at three to six months, and then you go on the tack again, and because you've got all your debt paid off, you got your shield out there, then you can start dropping some really good money towards your retirement so you can retire a millionaire. What I think is really cool is that teachers – are one of the top three groups to retire a millionaire. And a lot of times people are like, oh, well, teachers don't make that much. But they're in a situation where they have to give money towards retirement. So if you can have this mindset that I have to give money towards retirement, then it sets you up to be very successful you know, with your money. And then you get to go on the attack some more because then you can start knocking off that house and then you can really just kind of get involved in investing in different things. If you decide to have kids, you can decide if you want to do something for them. I feel like that's every family's choice. And then you have that freedom to do whatever you want to with your money. Get your investment properties if you want to. You can invest more money in different things. You can do, you know, kind of what you want and be on that attack and allow your money to work for you. So it's kind of a, you know, develop your shields to protect you. But then it's also kind of go on the tack with things so you can uh, be successful with your money. Yeah. And once you have all that worked out, being able to give generously. I know that's something that like we're really passionate about. And, you know, as Christians, we, of course, we love the idea of giving and we we want to give generously. And, and I think that that's um, very important. But when, if you're in debt up to your eyeballs and, you know, you're not really sure where your next mortgage payment is going to come from, being able to give generously is a strain. It's a strain on you. But when you have all of those things taken care of and you have an emergency fund and you have attacked those debts and all of that, then it's, it's a joy. It's, you know, absolutely. Yeah. And I encourage people to try to give to the level that they can as they're walking through the whole process. And some of that is for us to realize that our money is bigger than ourselves. Yeah. When we're all focused on our debt, when we're all focused on those shields and going on the attack, and we forget that our money has more value than just what it does for us, then it kind of causes us to be very narrow-minded and kind of you know myopic in our vision because we're only thinking about ourselves. But when we can expand that out and do that whole process, we're given part of our budget. We're thinking through how much we're given, what that percentage may look like, you know. And everybody might be different there, but your idea is growing that and trying to allow that to be a natural rhythm of your life to say, 
I know that my money needs to make a greater impact than just myself. Yeah, 100%. Did we solve all the world's problems? Um, probably not, but hopefully we laid a good foundation that will help people not create more problems for themselves. Yeah, right. Okay, so any other tidbits about money that I forgot to ask you? I think we covered just about everything. I think the biggest thing is just, we talked about this a little bit earlier, but I think it's that because I haven't done it, I think that I'm bad at it and therefore I shouldn't even try. And I would really encourage people not to have that mentality that the pit the effort, the pit the energy, because it's, not only does it return to you in the money that you have, but in the things that it allows you to do. Um, you know, kind of like what you said earlier, a budget gives you freedom. And sometimes people think, oh, well, if I budget, then I won't be able to eat out like I want to. I won't be able to do the things I want to do. The truth is, when you budget, you're just deciding what truly is valuable to you, yeah. and you're not losing that money. If you know, $5 a day lattes are what's most valuable to you, then set your budget up to be able to have that $5 latte every day. You're in charge of your budget. You determine how that's going to be used. Now, I believe that as you develop that budget and you figure things out, then you're going to determine what you really value and you're going to want to make sure that your money goes towards that. So give yourself some grace and understanding it. I think that's huge. But then realize you control the budget, not somebody else, and you can determine what you want to spend your money on. I know a lot of people will get bogged down with percentages and say, oh, I have to meet this percentage. As long as what you have coming in equals what you have going out and what you're saving, you're good. And that puts you way ahead of most people all around the world. All right, Brian, I ask all my guests this, so you have to answer it too. If you could have coffee with your 20-year-old self, what would you say? And it doesn't have to relate to money, but I mean, whatever, man. (laughs) Well, I think when it does come to money, the biggest thing that I would have said to myself at 20 years old is understand the debt that I was getting myself into and understand how much was being taken out. Like I said earlier, parents can be a huge help in, you know, getting those loans, making sure school's paid for and stuff like that. But that debt is your debt unless it's through what's called a parent plus loan. And so you need to understand the debt that you're in. I, when I was 20, needed to understand the debt that I was getting myself in. I was very blessed. My first two years of college were pretty much paid for. I had a good job. I could have been saving money. I could have been doing wiser things with money at that time. And instead, I was kind of blowing it, um, taking the little girl I was dating at the time to Red Lobster every Friday night and going (laughs) to a movie, right? Because I did not fully understand the value of what I had going on. And so I think if I could talk to my 20-year-old self again, I would say, you need to understand this money, saving it, investing it, being wise with it, avoiding debt with it, so you could come out on top of it and give yourself a head start in front of everybody else. You're awesome. Um, I wish I could talk to you more, but we have to go get our kiddo from church. <laughs> She's at youth group tonight. <laughs> um, thank you so much, handsome. And um, until next time. If you enjoyed this episode, I would enjoy you sharing it with a friend. If you take a screenshot and share it on your social, make sure you give me a tag at Katie Bulmer Life, and I will definitely make sure I respond. And thank you so much for sharing the love. Hey, and if you're new to the podcast, make sure you scroll back. We have over 100 episodes interviewing experts and 20-somethings and everyone in between, tackling all the hottest topics you wish you knew, but maybe just don't. This is called the Truth for Your 20s podcast, and I'm so thankful that you are here.